Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 159. We've actually got a guest host for this episode, and I'm really excited. And interestingly, I'm excited in part because I know this episode will not appeal to everybody, but it will appeal to a very specific demographic that I think will really, really benefit from us. In particular, I know that we have a lot of parents and kids that listen to this show in the car on the way to games, practices, things like that. And a lot of times uh, through my email exchanges and just conversations with people over the years, I've come to recognize that they often look to me and this podcast to deliver messages that sometimes are hard for parents to deliver. And that is nowhere more present than in the nutrition realm. Um, so we've got someone who's going to talk heavily on the high school and middle school athlete nutrition front. And I think really just speak to some big picture ideas that'll matter um, really, really heavily for these these kids that are trying to, to do the right thing with respect to their nutrition and their hydration. So it might not be the right fit for a lot of our really hard core nutrition um, enthusiasts, but it will be really, really impactful for some of these folks that are looking to really shore up that part of their um, you know approach to development. So hopefully you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest serves as a strength and conditioning coach at Cressy Sports Performance Florida. He graduated from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's in kinesiology and then completed his internship with Cressy Sports Performance Massachusetts in the spring of 2021. He also completed an internship with Elon University Sports Performance and a graduate fellowship at Merrimack College, where he earned his master's degree in exercise and sports science. 
As a graduate fellow, he served as a strength conditioning coach for the baseball, field hockey, and swim teams while assisting with football and men's ice hockey. After graduate school, he served as a strength conditioning coach for the Brewster Whitecaps in the Cape Cod Collegiate Summer Baseball League. Most specifically to this podcast, though, he serves as nutrition coordinator at Cressy Sports Performance Florida as he's precision nutrition certified and oversees all the dietary interactions we have with our athletes. He's done a great job with our high school, college, and professional athletes and their parents who often sit in on these nutrition consultations. And so I asked him if he'd be willing to chime in and do a podcast specifically devoted to nutrition in the high school realm. Please welcome to the show, Dan Rosen. Hello, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Elite Baseball Development Podcast. As you may know, I am not Eric Cressy. My name is Dan Rosen. I am one of the strength and conditioning coaches here at Cressy Sports Performance in Florida. Not only am I a strength and conditioning coach here, but I also am the staff's nutrition coach as I am precision nutrition certified. I wanted to quickly thank Eric for allowing me to take the reins on this episode to discuss some key nutritional principles that I think could benefit many athletes. However, today I wanted to focus the episode on high school athletes specifically. Having been doing nutrition consults at CSP for the last six months, I've been doing them with our pro collegiate and high school athletes. What I can say and what I've found is that high school athletes coming into these meetings are generally the least knowledgeable and place the least amount of emphasis on this aspect of their performance. I don't fault them for it, however. When I was in high school, I know I didn't really think about nutrition all that often, as it was never really discussed by sport coaches or even amongst teammates. Not only that, but my day was consumed of going to class, going to practice, maybe lifting some weights here and there, and then doing homework. So really not a whole lot of time to invest my own time, money, and effort into my nutrition, and therefore I really never took ownership of it. And I've seen that that's kind of the case with many of the athletes that I talk to today. Now, poor nutrition really isn't a good way to capitalize on the growth that would naturally occur during high school just from people going through puberty, right? They're going to naturally get bigger, stronger, and faster, but nutrition is going to support that process. Nutrition is the bedrock for a good training program and for skill development. If we don't properly fuel ourselves and recover from the workouts and the training sessions and the practices that we're doing, How can we really expect to get bigger, stronger, and faster and carry over the skills that we're learning in practice to games and on to bigger practice in fields and whatnot and so forth? Now, specific nutrition recommendations, just like with training, should take an individualized approach based on the readiness and the ability of the athlete to change their current nutrition habits based on their education level on the topic, based on their goals, and what changes are practical, which can be based on numerous other factors. Now, with that said, there are some clear trends that I've found in these nutrition consults that I think would be beneficial to highlight in this episode. Therefore, here are 10 nutrition principles that I think young athletes can put into practice now in order to avoid making nutritional mistakes as they attempt to continue growing and pursuing athletic opportunities after high school. One note I would like to mention is that the 10 principles that I'm going to be going over really aren't in any specific order except for this first one. This first nutrition principle I wanted to discuss is consistency, because there's nothing without consistency. Just like with sticking to a training program or showing up for practice, it's really hard to get better or see results from the efforts being put in if there is a lack of consistency. One of the questions on the nutrition questionnaires that I give to every athlete I have a meeting with is I ask them to subjectively rate their own nutrition practices or habits. Now, I don't give them any guidance on what to say to subjectively rate themselves. But what I've found is that many athletes talk about how poor their consistency in regards to their nutrition is. Ask them to elaborate, and they usually say something like, 
well, I have a couple really good days of nutrition and then I'll fall off. I'll get back on it and then I'll fall off. And this cycle just continues. And that's kind of why they never see results occurring. They're not stacking days, weeks, and months on top of each other, which is needed to see these results from nutrition. Now, the nutrition principles I will be discussing throughout the rest of the episode can help athletes stay more consistent with their nutrition, but it really will all come down to one thing, and that's prioritization and commitment to a daily, a weekly, a monthly nutrition schedule and practice. Changes aren't going to be made overnight, and so the sooner an athlete can adopt better nutritional practices in high school, the more runway they're going to give themselves for gains to occur throughout high school. So take on point here, stay consistent, and slowly watch the results come about. So moving on to our second principle that I wanted to discuss today, it's the concepts of calorie intake and not skipping meals. However, before we can talk about calories, we kind of need to address the reasons why athletes are skipping meals. Uh, having done as many nutrition consults as I have, um, what I'm finding is that the main reasons for why athletes are skipping meals is that A, they forget to eat. Um, they don't pack enough food throughout the day. They have a busy schedule. When you think about it, they're, they're up at 6.30, 7. They're at school by 7 to 7.20. They don't get lunch until around noon and then classes are over around 3 with practice or lifting starting right after that. And finally at dinner, whether that's at seven or eight, then they can sit down and have a meal. So they're, they're busy schedules in high school, and it doesn't leave them a whole lot of time to sit down for a meal, especially when either A, they forget to eat, or B, they didn't pack enough food for them throughout the day. And then the last reason I find why guys are skipping meals or any high school athlete would be skipping a meal is that they just lack an appetite, whether that's, again, a combination of the three reasons above or they just simply don't have an appetite. That's another way that they miss calories because they're missing meals. So let's talk about calories for a second. Our calorie is our body's unit of energy. We need them to live. We need them to function. I need them to talk to you. You need them to listen to me. Um, and so there's really four ways that we can burn calories throughout the day. The first one is our metabolism. If I just sat here and did nothing the whole day, didn't say a word, didn't move a muscle, this is how many calories my body would burn just to stay alive. The second way we can burn calories is through purposeful activity and exercise and, and practice and whatnot. So I go to baseball practice and then I lift weights. I'm purposely performing an activity and that activity is going to, 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 to burn calories. And then the third way that we can burn calories is through non-exercise activity. So that might be me scratching my nose or um, walking up a flight of stairs to go to a room to get something or putting on my watch, right? Those are all very subtle movements, but add those up throughout the day and you have a bunch of calories that you burn from not purposefully moving or doing an exercise or an activity. The last way we can burn calories is by eating, right? Our bodies have to use energy to digest the food that we consume and that energy is burning of calories. Um, so now when we think about gaining weight or losing weight or even maintaining weight when it comes to calories, if we eat more calories than we burn, we're going to gain weight. If we eat less than we burn, we'll lose weight. And then if we eat about the same amount of calories as we burn, we're going to maintain our weight. When you factor in high school athletes growing and going through puberty, not to mention a busy daily active schedule, they're burning a ton of calories. And it, it's likely to fluctuate from day to day based on their schedule and then from year to year based on how much they're growing. So this really highlights the importance of not missing meals and consistently getting calories in throughout the day 
if the goal is to gain weight, as many high school athletes have that goal. So don't skip meals. Find out why you're skipping meals if you are. Address those reasons why and making sure that you're constantly getting calories in throughout the rest of the day. That way we continue to get towards our goals with our nutrition. So moving on to principle three, we're going to be talking about macronutrients. But if we take a step back really quickly and look at what we just discussed in principle two of calorie intake, well, a calorie is a unit of energy. The energy has to be coming from somewhere, and that's where macronutrients come in. There's protein, carbs or carbohydrates, and fats. A lot of people that I talk to, especially high school athletes who are very interested in gaining weight and getting stronger, getting bigger, getting faster, are really caught up on how much protein they should be getting, what the different types of protein there are, and when they should be eating their protein. And while those functions of protein inside the body are very important and protein itself and getting enough of it is very important, we can't neglect the importance of carbohydrates and fats, mainly because protein is a terrible fuel source, right? It's good for building muscle, putting on weight, recovering from training. However, it's not really good at giving us energy. That's where carbs and fats come in. So we kind of just discussed what the role of protein is, and some examples of it are your meat, your fish, eggs, different types of dairy, such as Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, and then you also have whey protein and protein bars, just to name a few. Moving on to carbs, again, this is your body's primary fuel source. The way I like to describe carbohydrates and their role in the body is imagine we're about to do a race with a car, right? You need to fill the tank up of the car. You need to fill the gas. And that's where carbs come in. They're a great energy source. But after we run the race, we need to be able to run a race tomorrow or the next week or anytime we pick up activity again. And that's where you need to refill the gas tank. And again, carbs are very good for that. So don't neglect carbs before or after workout, which we'll talk about later in this podcast. One little known fact about carbohydrates as well is that they're very good at interacting with amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. And they're good for shuttling them into muscle cells. So therefore, carbohydrates interact with protein in such a way that it helps prevent tissue breakdown and it can improve protein synthesis throughout the body. So getting bigger and stronger from our training sessions. Examples of carbohydrates would be fruit, vegetables, rice, potatoes, oatmeal, bread, pasta, and honey. Okay, that's not all the examples. Those are just some that I've listed here. Fats are the last macronutrient, and they're important for a number of functions inside the body. It's a fuel source like carbs, but they're slower to digest and to be utilized. So we don't utilize them as much, especially in the baseball population, but they are a fuel source nonetheless. Okay, They're also good for endocrine function. So your hormones, testosterone, cortisol, uh, growth hormone, all need fats to support them. And then we're also, the fats are also good for your immune health. So keeping you not sick and keeping you healthy. The last function I want to go over with fats is that they're really good at helping other nutrients be absorbed. So for instance, if I have a salad with a bunch of vegetables and a meat and whatever have you, um, and I put olive oil on top of the salad, that olive oil, the fats in the olive oil will allow me to absorb the nutrients from the other foods that I'm eating with it a bit better. Some examples of fats are fattier cuts of meat and fish, such as salmon, uh, dairy, such as cheese, butter, whole fat milk, or yogurt, avocados, nuts, and nut butters, seeds, and then oils. What I would recommend, though, is that when you're cooking with cooking oils, to limit yourself to extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, or coconut oil, as these are the least processed types of cooking oils. 
Now, how many macronutrients we get in per day is very relative to the person for a number of reasons. What's their starting weight? How old are they? What's their goal? Is it to gain weight or to lose weight? And there's a lot of different factors that go into calculating how many macronutrients somebody should be getting on a daily basis. Therefore, I won't be giving out any specific recommendations other than this little tidbit right here. And then that's that everybody should be aiming for about a gram of protein per pound of body weight. So hypothetically, if someone weighs 200 pounds, they should be aiming for around 200 grams of protein for each day. We need to uh, realize that, again, protein is not a great fuel source. So the rest of the calories throughout the day should be coming from fat or carbs based on your activity levels and your goals. Moving on from talking about macronutrients, in principle four, we're going to be talking about hydration and electrolytes. Playing in Miami early in the NFL season takes on the full meaning of home field advantage. The opposing team's sideline is directly in the sun and is a good 20 to 30 degrees hotter than the Dolphins' sideline. Throw in the helmet and pads, as well as an athlete who hasn't been acclimated to the heat because they're playing in stadiums such as New England or Buffalo, and it's a recipe for disaster. It is not uncommon for NFL players traveling to Miami early in the season having to be sidelined due to heat-related illnesses and dehydration during a game. Unfortunately, this is not too uncommon for the high school athlete population either, especially when considering how much they are outside during the summer months playing game after game in tournaments. Youth are particularly at risk for becoming dehydrated as they have very high metabolic and energy demands. They also have less body weight, which makes even slight changes in fluid loss more impactful to the system. This is also probably a good time to mention that planning on becoming hydrated during exercise or physical activity isn't a great strategy. Once energy utilization and sweating begins, it is near impossible to become hydrated at that point, and instead the goal is to maintain pre-exercise hydration levels. Take-home point here is enter physical activity sessions already in a hydrated state because it's already too late to become hydrated once you begin. Hydration isn't just about drinking more water, however. It also involves ingesting enough electrolytes either through food or supplementation. Electrolytes are essential minerals such as sodium, calcium, and potassium, which not only keep you hydrated, but are good for things like improving reaction time, helping with muscle contraction, and delaying fatigue during activity. During activity, we sweat to regulate our body temperature, and in sweat, we lose those electrolytes. Adding salt to foods and then eating foods like dark green leafy vegetables and fruits, or even supplementing with an electrolyte powder, are good ways to ensure hydration status is supported by a good electrolyte balance within the body. As for water intake, a general recommendation for most athletes is to drink about half their body weight in ounces per day. This may be more or less than what some athletes need, as this will depend on how heavy a sweater someone is and what percentage of their sweat is loss of electrolytes versus loss of water. Looking at the color of urine is also another at-home way to measure hydration status. Clear urine is not the goal, as most would believe, as this may indicate someone is overly hydrated. Instead, a pale or a slightly transparent yellow might be the goal. To wrap this principle up, find ways to stay hydrated throughout the day, such as bringing a water bottle to school and filling it up between classes. Avoid as best as you can to go into exercise dehydrated and hydrate with both electrolytes and water. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. 
Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. Moving on to principle five, let's talk about some grocery shopping. Accomplishing nutrition goals are won and lost in the grocery store. We cannot eat what we don't buy, and in the same token, we're only going to eat what we do buy from the store. Grocery shopping is a skill that, like anything else, takes some practice to get better at. Unfortunately, due to busy schedules, a lack of transportation, and a lack of income, high school athletes rarely get exposure to practicing the skill of buying food at a grocery store. One of the questions I ask every athlete during our nutrition meetings is whether or not they do their own grocery shopping. Very rarely, if ever. Do I get a yes from a high school athlete on this question? The immediate advice I give to them is to start today or to go with the parents the next time they go to the store. I emphasize the importance of this skill by making the athlete aware that when high school is over, deciding what to eat will be solely their responsibility. If they're going to want a particular food, then they're going to have to go get it themselves and take ownership for what's going inside their body. Another point I would like to make is that the only the athlete will know how much food they need throughout a week to accomplish their new nutritional goals. Relying on mom and dad to bring home enough food is kind of like telling someone to buy food for an occasion without really knowing how many people are attending. Therefore, I encourage the athlete to go with their parents and help them decide how much food will be enough for a week or for however long period of time. In that way, more accurate decisions can be made week to week at the grocery store when determining if the previous week's haul was enough. As with quantity, grocery shopping will also help athletes determine the quality of the food that they are eating. I encourage my athletes to eat whole, unprocessed foods. Typically, in most grocery stores, these foods are in the perimeter aisles as many of the interior aisles are full of things like soda, unhealthy snacks, and other low-quality food items. Nutrient and ingredient labels are also important things to consider when at the grocery store buying food. Nutrient labels will help give someone a better understanding of how much they're eating in regards to calories and macros, whereas ingredient labels will help someone identify what exactly is going inside their body. With ingredient labels, I typically suggest finding foods that have less ingredients. For instance... Most fruits, vegetables, meats, fish, and eggs don't really have ingredient labels because they are what the package says they are. A banana is just a banana, whereas a piece of chicken is just a piece of chicken. However, when we look at a bag of nuts or trail mix, for example, the ingredient list obviously has the type of nuts inside the package, but we often find that they are mixed with added sugars, preservatives, and other added oils. The last note I will make is that grocery shopping is substantially cheaper than eating out. Going to the grocery store and buying the ingredients of whatever you get with a typical fast food order, will probably yield three to five meals for the same price as the one meal that you would get if you decided to go out for your food. To summarize, grocery shopping is beneficial for athletes to start as young as possible because it is a skill at the end of the day and it takes practice to get better at. Getting better at grocery shopping will allow someone to determine how much food they need for a period of time, to identify what and where specific foods are in the store, to analyze what they are actually putting inside their bodies, and to start taking ownership for feeding themselves which will be important once they move away from home. Piggybacking off of the last principle where we talked about grocery shopping, in this principle, we're going to be talking about cooking. And really, cooking is very similar to grocery shopping in the sense that they are both life skills, which take time to get better at. It's okay to make mistakes when first learning how to grocery shop or cook for oneself, but starting earlier can help an athlete become more resourceful and time efficient, as well as less wasteful when they are in college and beyond. Not only is the ability to cook for and feed yourself a vital skill, but cooking your own food has other benefits associated with the process of doing it. For one, you will know exactly how the food is prepared, which is rarely the case when eating out. 
you have complete control over the ingredients and therefore the quality of the food. In addition to the quality, you also get to determine the quantity. This will be important for tracking exactly how much you're eating in and each meal and throughout the day, which makes achieving a nutritional or weight goal much easier. There are several ways to cook foods, including baking, grilling, pan or air frying, boiling, and so on. Learning how to prepare foods in a number of different ways is beneficial for adding variety and flavor to foods, which are both arguably important components for keeping someone consistent when it comes to nutrition. Eventually, when an athlete becomes more comfortable cooking, they can start to prepare several days' worth of meals ahead of time, which is good for both time management and consistency. I encourage high school athletes to start learning to cook now to make things easier for themselves in the future and realistically to make things easier on their parents now. Cooking doesn't have to be a chore. It can actually be really fun, especially when doing with family during high school. I think it's terrific when I hear athletes I work with talk about how they help their mom or dad prepare a family meal because they spend some time looking things up on Google, watching YouTube, or even just watching their parents prepare food when they were first learning how to cook. So go out there and start cooking. Moving on to the next principle, we're going to be discussing liquid calories. When attempting to gain weight, we're probably going to have to find some ways to consume more calories, especially when weight gain starts to plateau. One way to consume more calories in a shorter period of time while also limiting the feeling of fullness that can be typical after a big meal with solid foods is to consume more liquid calories. When I say liquid calories, I don't mean drinking bottle after bottle of different types of sport drinks or fruit juices, although these types of calories can have their place. Instead, I mean making smoothies. We have established that high school athletes have a busy day with small windows for getting calories in. One strategy I've been giving many of the high school athletes that I work with is to invest in a blender. Smoothies are a quick and relatively easy way to add 1,000 plus calories in throughout the day as they are easier to digest and can be blended ahead of time. For example, one recommendation I've been giving out to that has gotten great feedback is to blend smoothies up before going to bed and then re-blend them in the morning upon waking. If an athlete was having a hard time getting calories in for whatever reason during the morning or evening hours, this is an efficient way to solve those problems. Adding things like whole milk, whey protein, fruit, honey, oatmeal, avocados, nut butters, Greek yogurt, seeds, and green leafy vegetables makes for a great recipe full of great nutrients and calories. You can have one to two of these a day or as many as you like in addition to the meals that you're already planning on eating and watch that weight tack on. Moving on to principle eight, let's talk about supplements. I start every nutrition meeting by asking the athlete if they have any questions about their nutrition that we should absolutely cover during the session. A lot of the time I get questions about how much protein powder they can have in a serving, if they should be taking creatine, or what the best supplement companies are. This is typically followed by me reeling them back in and emphasizing the word supplement, as in supplementing or supporting the diet. If I have a 16-year-old who hasn't ever spent a day worrying about their nutrition, then this is kind of like rounding third before ever getting out of the batter's box. So I promise them we'll get to that question a little later in the session after we go over some reasons why we may need to take a supplement in the first place. So what supplements do I recommend? I think the podcast Eric did with Angie Ash in episode 31 and Dr. Andy Galpin on episode 157 cover this topic perfectly. With that said, however, I'll briefly go over some of the supplements that they discussed. Creatine monohydrate is a great starting point for a lot of athletes. Three to five grams per day is a range of benefits, including improved cognitive function, and physical speed, power, size, and strength. As long as the athlete is hydrating properly throughout the day, the common belief that creatine will lead to kidney problems has been pretty much been proven wrong in the literature. The last note on creatine is that it isn't typically found in large quantities within foods and can even be lost during the cooking process, thus highlighting the importance of supplementation. The next supplement I will discuss is whey protein powder. If someone is already getting enough protein from food sources, 
then this supplement may not be needed. Anecdotally, however, this is rarely the case with high school athletes. When identifying a whey protein powder, look at the ingredient label. You will probably want to look for one that has the first two ingredients being whey protein isolate or concentrate rather than milk protein isolate or concentrate. If you find whey protein doesn't sit well in your stomach or choose not to eat animal products, pea protein supplementation is a good vegan option and is typically easier to digest. The next supplement I will briefly touch on is one I've already discussed, and that is electrolytes. There are several really good electrolyte powders on the market, and the instructions for their use are typically on the packages. Consuming enough electrolytes both before, during, and after physical activity will be beneficial for the reasons we discussed earlier. Just be sure to watch out for added sugars on the nutrient labels. A multivitamin could also be a good supplement to invest in, especially if you believe your current diet to be deficient in key micronutrients. I would again encourage you to listen to the episodes with Andy Ash and Dr. Andy Galpin as they point out some components to consider when picking a multivitamin, mainly avoiding excess iron and ensuring that there is vitamin D in the supplement. Lastly, on this topic of multivitamins, I am a firm believer in using AG1 on a daily basis. It covers all your multivitamin needs and can help create a better gut microbiome, which can then promote better cognitive and physical health. The last note I would like to make on supplements is that there are third-party testing companies such as NSF Sport and Informed Choice. Products that have been improved by these types of companies can be trusted to not have any banned substances in their products. While high school athletes are not being drug tested, the companies that pay for their products to be third-party tested are anecdotally higher quality products. Not only do I get a lot of questions about supplements in the diet, but one question I get a lot in these meetings is when to eat certain meals and when to eat certain macronutrients. So in principle nine, we're going to be talking about meal and nutrient timing. In this podcast, we have talked a lot about calories and macronutrients, specifically what roles they play, how to get enough of them, and how they fit into having good nutritional practices. What we have yet to discuss is where in the day to prioritize certain foods over others. Optimizing meal and nutrient timing is dependent on many factors, but two things of particular note would be what the daily schedule of the athlete looks like and what the athlete's preferences are in regards to the caloric and macronutrient contents of each meal. Let's start with protein. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has heard that there is an optimal window of time after a training session to consume protein. While it may at times be beneficial to get very specific with nutrient timing in regards to protein, For most high school athletes, it probably isn't a matter of when their protein intake is occurring, rather how much protein they are consuming by the end of the day. So instead of worrying too much about getting a specific amount of protein after training, focus on getting a gram of protein per pound of body weight by the end of the day. This strategy or way of thinking about protein intake may also work better for most because anecdotally, I've either seen people not being hungry right after training or they find consuming too much protein in a meal fills them up to the point where they lack an appetite for several hours or even the rest of the day. In respect to time and carbohydrates throughout the day, I alluded to earlier that we can think about them as fuel for our metaphorical gas tanks. We should try to be consuming a majority of our carbs prior to and after training sessions. This, however, does not mean we can't eat carbs well before or after training. That is not what I'm saying at all. With high school athletes having active daily lifestyles, Carbs throughout the day can be beneficial for maintaining energy levels. One note I would like to highlight is that some carbohydrate sources are easier to digest than others. For instance, some may find that they can eat and digest more fruit and or rice, say compared to other carb sources such as pasta. It would therefore probably be more beneficial to eat easier, easier to digest carb sources prior to physical activity to avoid feeling weighed down or sluggish. This is where cooking and preparing one's meals 
also becomes important. Knowing exactly how much of a food and how it was prepared can help the athlete identify which foods they digest well and what amount of food works for them prior to activity or in each meal throughout the day as a whole. Lastly, let's talk about dietary fat. Fat is very slow to digest and can often give people a feeling of fullness if eaten in moderate to high quantities. Therefore, some may find it hard to perform at their best after eating a fat-rich meal. There is also literature to support that fats eaten in the post-training meal slows down the absorption of carbs and proteins, which can therefore delay protein synthesis and recovery. On the topic of speed of digestion, earlier in this podcast, we discussed where liquid calories in the form of protein smoothies may fit into the daily schedule of a high school athlete. Liquid calories are typically easier to digest, and therefore the body will likely utilize the nutrients from the calories quicker as well. This makes the post-workout meal a perfect time to have liquid calories as it can expedite the recovery process. Moving on to our 10th and final principle, we were going to be discussing variety. In the last part of the nutrition questionnaire I had the athletes fill out, I asked them to do a two-day recall of what they ate. For some of the athletes I've worked with, the two days of eating are more or less identical. There's nothing wrong with being consistent day-to-day with one's eating habits and choices as it can make meal prepping easier and nutritional practices more consistent. However, when I dig a little deeper and ask them why they keep their meals consistent, it is hardly ever because of those reasons. Instead, the reason I typically get is that they would consider themselves a picky either, either because they don't like many foods or haven't tried foods due to a fear of not liking them. When I'm speaking with picky eaters in these meetings, I like to bring up some practical advice for them. For one, I describe the importance of building a food database. The database, as I describe, is essentially a memory vault of information on every food you have ever eaten. This information will tell you whether or not you like the taste of a food, how well the food is digested in your system, or how you felt after eating the food, such as did it make you feel sluggish, did it make you feel good, or perhaps you may have even found out that you're allergic to a food after trying it for the first time. This at first glance might not seem like a good idea to try new foods and create this food database. However, knowledge is power. If when a high school athlete goes off to college and has limited choices at, say, a dining hall or on the road with a team, Having a large food database to fall back on, full of good and bad foods for them, will be helpful to have in order for them to make the right decisions on what to put in their body. I also like to point out with these athletes that eating the same foods over and over, week after week, may not be good for long-term commitment to good nutritional practice or for their performance. It is easy to do things repeatedly when they are enjoyable. While there may be a sense of comfort in eating the same foods throughout the day, it can get boring and lead to either not eating enough or binge eating things that we know taste good, such as pizza, candy, and ice cream. Eating the same foods as I previously discussed can also lead to nutrient deficiency, especially when the limited foods one is consuming do not give them all of their micro and macronutrient or caloric needs. The last point I will make on this principle is that I myself was a very picky eater growing up. I know now I was missing out on many food options that I have come to enjoy, which has made being more consistent with my nutrition a heck of a lot easier. I can also say with confidence that I was likely nutrient deficient as there was no way the same five to six foods I was eating on a daily basis were optimally supporting my health, let alone my performance on the field. If you want to be a professional athlete, start eating like one. I can tell you one thing, those guys are not picky eaters.